And now, courtesy of the 11L Network, it's LF Midwood. LF Midwood. And the Midwood Files. With the LF Midwood Experience. Here on Radio New York International. My name is L.F. Midwood. Uh, I've got a ton of news to get to this week, so uh, I'm just going to uh, do that <laughs> uh, and get down to it, as they say. Uh, first story is out of the New York Post, uh, and it involves uh, Google's uh, AI chatbot, Gemini. Um, this week, uh, I was actually uh, messing around, and this is before this story. I think this story is only broken within the last couple of days. Um, but over the weekend, I was uh, actually uh, considering uh, moving from... Uh, the uh, Samsung phone dialer and the Samsung messaging app, you know, the SMS app and, uh, and calendar and contacts. So I was just basically going to switch over to Google's apps uh, from using the built-in Samsung apps. Uh, and I started to play with stuff. Uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting to one degree or another because I'd never played with them. I'd always use the stock Samsung stuff. I'm a Samsung guy uh, on Android. And, um, I was pretty much ready to make the switch uh, until I figured uh, one thing out, and that was uh, I'm not going to be able to uh, use my tablet and my phone together. Like, I can make uh, calls from my tablet, and I can make uh, text and receive text and make calls from my tablet as long as my phone is nearby, uh, which is great because there are times where I have the tablet on with the headphones and, you know, I'll get a call or I'll get a text or something. And I'll be able to respond to it rather than, uh, you know, missing it because I have the headphones on and I'm not paying attention to my phone. Uh, big feature for me, actually, really big feature for me because I spend a lot of time on my tablet. Uh, so for that reason and a couple other reasons, uh, one was uh, I looked at the Gemini app, uh, which is uh, supposed to, when you download it, uh, replace um, friggin' um, Google Assistant. Uh, I don't really use Google Assistant too much, but I use it like a tiny, because I use Google Calendar on a regular basis for my medical appointments and stuff of that nature. Um, so um, I do encounter Google Assistant. It makes it a little easier to manipulate the calendar and such. Um, I understood that when you download a Gemini, it replaced Google Assistant, which in itself isn't the worst thing in the world, I said to myself. But I said, you know what, before I do this, before I just do this, let me actually go up to the Play Store. Uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously Google's uh, apps are, and, uh, and see what people are saying about Gemini. And uh, not for nothing, uh, it, a lot of people had a lot of problems with it, and uh, they, they feel they lost a lot of functionality um, that they weren't able to, uh, to duplicate, you know, functionality that they lost because Google Assistant was replaced by Gemini. Uh, and, you know, the idea of generating uh, the photos and whatnot, not the biggest deal to most people. I mean, at this point in time, I don't even think most people know how to properly utilize AI, uh, myself included. So I'm not I'm not playing any sort of um, so much smarter than you are. Uh, I think uh, slowly but surely, I think people will come to understand um, what it can be used for and how it can be used in a constructive manner. And when I say constructive manner, I mean something other than generating nudes of Taylor Swift, which is apparently one of its bigger things right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, like I always say, uh, technology is only as good as what it's utilized for. So uh, between the Gemini thing and not being able to link my tablet and my phone together uh, using uh, Google Apps, uh, I was um, really, uh, really not that uh, hyped on switching apps. So I wound up staying where I was, but I spent an afternoon playing with stuff, which I don't normally do. So anyway, here's uh, a story about uh, Google uh, Gemini uh, at a New York Post, and this is dated uh, actually today. Uh, absurdly woke, Google's AI chatbot spits out diverse images of founding fathers, popes, and Vikings. Google's highly touted AI chatbot, Gemini, was blasted as woke after its image generator split out 
uh, factually or historically inaccurate pictures, including a woman as Pope, black Vikings, female NHL players, and diverse versions of Americans of America's founding fathers. Gemini's bizarre result came after a simple prompt, including one by the Post on Wednesday, that asked the software to recreate an image of a Pope. Uh, instead of yielding a photo of one of the 266, po 266 pontiffs throughout history, all of them white men, Gemini provided pictures of a Southeast Asian woman and a black man wearing holy vestments. Another post query for representative images of the Founding Fathers in 1789 was also far from reality. Gemini responded with images of Black and Native American individuals signing what appeared to be a version of the U.S. Constitution featuring diverse individuals embodying the spirit of the Founding Fathers. Ah, uh, that's crazy. <laughs> Another showed a Black man appearing to, what, uh, appearing to represent George Washington in a white wig and wearing an army uniform. When asked why it had deviated from its original prompt, Gemini replied that it aimed to provide a more accurate and inclusive representation of the historical context of the period. Uh, generative AI tools like Gemini are designed to create content within certain parameters, leading many critics to slam Google for its progressive-minded settings. Ian Miles Chong, a right-wing social media influencer who frequently interacts with Elon Musk, described Gemini as absurdly woke. Google said it was aware of the criticism and it's actively working on a fix. We're working to improve these kinds of depictions immediately, Jack Kronsky, Google's senior director of product management for Gemini Experiences, told The Post. Gemini's IA generation does generate a wide range of people, and that's generally a good thing because people around the world use it, but it's missing the mark here. Social media users had a field day creating queries that provided confounding results. New game. Try to get Google Gemini to make an image of a Caucasian male. I have not been successful so far, wrote ex-user Frank J. Fleming, a writer for the Babylon Bee whose series of posts about Gemini on, social, on the social media platform quickly went viral. Another example, Gemini was asked to generate an image of a Viking, the seafaring Scandinavian marauders that once terrorized Europe. The chatbot's strange depictions of Vikings included one of a shirtless black man with a rainbow feathers attached to his fur garb, a black warrior woman, and an Asian man standing in the middle of what appeared to be a desert. Fame pollster and 538 founder Nate Silver also joined the fray. Silver's request for Gemini to make four representational images of NHL hockey players generated a picture with a female player, even though the league is all male. Okay, I assume people were exaggerating with this stuff, but this is the first image I requested. I tried with Gemini, and that's what I got, Silver wrote. Um, is that it? Nope. Okay, another prompt to pick to okay, this is actually uh, another prompt to depict the girl with the pearl earring, which is a famous painting, uh, led to altered versions of the famous 1665 oil painting by uh, Joan Hahn Viermeer, featuring what Gemini described as diverse ethnicities and genders. Google added the image generation feature when it renamed his experimental bard chatbot to Gemini and released an updated version product last week. So I'm guessing um, what I uh, played with was, uh, or almost downloaded, uh, was a very early uh, version thereof, or you know, a very early release if they're saying uh, last week, because uh, literally, like I said, I was playing with it over the weekend. And it just happened to be a coincidence, like I said, because uh, I, I think what it was is um, I was looking uh, to see if I could use um, the uh, rich text um, SMS, uh, is it RCS? I forget what exactly what the, um, the, uh, the more modern version of S SMS is called, uh, but, uh, some carriers, and when I say carriers, I mean phone carriers, uh, support it and some don't, uh, for some reason Samsung was, uh, and then they stopped, uh, and when I say they stopped, they literally started, uh, to, to tell people to use Google, uh, Messenger, or I should say Google Messages, which is, uh, Google's SMS app. 
uh, and you can enable it from inside that if you wanted to. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, the main reason I started to play with any of this at all, and it, it may sound silly, but it's not, <laughs> um, is uh, whenever, I, uh, whenever I send a text, I can't see uh, if the other person has read it or not. And that's just on text. That's not on any other social media app. Just SMS, straight SMS texting. Um, I think one of the reasons maybe is because um, I have an unlocked phone. I bought my phone unlocked from uh, from Best Buy uh, a couple of few years ago, uh, so it's not um, it's not branded to my carrier. So I'm wondering if I had a phone that was branded to my carrier, whether I'd be able to see that or not. But I also understand that these days there's a setting inside uh, apps that allow you know, or out of SMS apps that allow people to uh to turn that off so that basically you won't be able to see when they read their text which i guess is a desirable thing um to some people <laughs> me i'm all about receipt i'd like to know the person read it but uh so i'm not able to do that and that's why i started playing with the google uh google sms app and that led me to the dialer and then that, that led me to the contacts and then that led me to gemini uh so like i said i spent pretty much uh, all day saturday you know just playing with all this stuff and uh, at the end of what was at least uh, three hours, um, I wound up um, removing it all from my phone and, and sticking with the stock uh, stock uh, Samsung stuff. So, uh, that being said, you know, you do have to be uh, concerned. And when I say you, I mean uh, all of us uh, need to be concerned uh, with the idea of revisionist history. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, I don't think that we're ever truly going to be able to learn from history unless we are at least reasonably accurate, uh, whether it's pleasant or not. And I think uh, what winds up happening, uh, particularly with wokeness, is uh, they're trying to level a playing field that wasn't level. I mean, it it just wasn't, you know. Uh, and it had happens on a regular basis. I remember a couple of few years ago, they were doing a uh, documentary on Anne Boleyn, uh, you know, one of uh, Henry VIII's wives. And uh, I believe it was the BBC, big surprise there, um, they cast her as a black woman. And uh, that made no sense. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's you know, you, again, you talk about the idea, it just was not, uh, it was not period correct. So if you're not going to be period correct, then don't talk about that period really would be my, my, my advice going forward. Or even, even if the idea becomes, um, and I'm not the biggest fan of this either per se, but the idea of you want to uh, reimagine something, I know that's become a term, uh, particularly, uh, in regards to, uh, like movie canon and, uh, and books and things of that nature where they're taking what was an established storyline uh, with the canon, and you know what I mean, canon, it has its own understanding of events and how they occurred uh, and who the players were and, and, and whatnot, and taking it and literally like reinventing it. So you're taking the base from it and you're kind of rearranging things to a certain degree. Even if you're going to do something like that, as long as you're selling it um, or presenting it, maybe bit would be a better term. Uh, as uh, reimagined, and I don't necessarily have the biggest deal. It doesn't, you know, and this is a real big thing about media. Um, and I think Disney is finding this out a lot because the last couple of Disney uh, movies uh, have been very wokey. And uh, I think um, they're losing money. And, and they're sitting there and they're scratching their heads and they're like, gee, why aren't people really interested in this? <laughs> That's because there's enough of us old fucks still alive. <laughs> Who uh who kind of like things the way they were, <laughs> you know? You want to create new content? That's great, you know. Uh, but there's this over. This is the thing with uh, with wokeness. Um, there's this overcompensation, uh, and that's never going to work, you know. At the end of the day, um, you know, black people, just as an example, they're thirteen percent of the population, which means what? Uh, thirteen out of every hundred people are going to be black in any given setting, you know. So to try and artificially conflate that number uh, just to kind of level the playing field doesn't make sense because it's not like that in actual reality. <laughs> it's not. It's just not. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I the, the woke thing is just it's it's only going to go uh, it's only going to go so far, uh, and people are going to start voting with their bucks. And and again, like I said, if you, you know you get a, a drift of something that you don't like, you got to vote with your dollars and, and just not invest in it. You know, don't spend the money, don't spend the time, uh, don't give them the advertising, none of it, none of it. It's the only way things are going to uh, you know get to a point where they understand that they have to uh, cater to everyone and not just a small majority. I mean, the idea that a uh, decisions, major decisions upon how we see things and how things are presented to us are predicated on uh, making sure that uh, we are artificially inclusive uh, is ridiculous. It's just 100% ridiculous. Anyway, um, on to the next. As they say, uh, I think I want to hit this one. Yeah, this is out of uh, Google News, or excuse me, Yahoo News. Uh, and this is actually Yahoo News, but this was uh, the Lexington Herald out of Lexington, Kentucky. <clears throat> and this was Alex Acquizio. Uh, and this is also dated today. GOP advances bill opponents say would pave way for discrimination of LGBTQ Kentuckians. <clears throat> a Republican-backed religious liberty bill opponents say would weaken local government's ability to enforce fairness ordinances and embolden individuals who wish to discriminate based on religious beliefs want approval from a legislative committee on Wednesday. Representative Steve Rawlings, Republican out of Burlington, told the House Judiciary Committee that House Bill 47 would codify into existing Religious Freedom Restoration Act that a government cannot, and this is really, substantially burden an individual's freedom of religion and ensure that Kentuckians are free to live and work according to their faith without fear of being unjustly punished by their government. In short, his bill would formalize definitions of what it means to have one's religious liberty substantially burdened by the government and add private right of action steps an individual can take should damages should this happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definition of substantially a burden would include any action that directly or indirectly constrains inhibits, curtails, or denies the exercise of religion by any person or compels any action contrary to a person's exercise of religion, including, but not limited to, withholding benefits, assessing criminal, civil, or administrative penalties, excluding from government programs or access to governmental facilities. By formalizing these definitions in law, Rawlings said it offers to ensure that Kentuckians can be heard in any part of the government, burdens uh, can be heard if any part of the government burdens their religious practices. The bill would apply to all state and local laws, administrative regulations, and ordinances, and it would allow any individual who believes their religious liberty has been infringed upon to seek injunctive or declaratory relief, as well as compensation for damages. Bill detractors, including Fairness Campaign Executive Director Chris Hartman, warned the proposal would make it easier to discriminate against LGBTQ Kentuckians and potentially shield those who refuse to enforce local fairness ordinances, which outlaw LGBTQ discrimination in employment, housing, and other public accommodations. Lexington and Louisville were the first cities in the Commonwealth in 1999 to adopt fairness ordinances. A total of 24 municipalities have adopted similar measures in years since. The committee voted 14 to 6 to advance the bill to the House floor. Republican representatives Kim Banta, Republican Fort, uh, from Fort Mitchell, and Stephanie Adietz, a Republican from Edgewood, joined Democrats in voting against the bill. It now heads to the House for floor votes. Uh, Republican Nima uh, Kalkarian, a Democrat from Louisville, said the reality is we live in a very litigious society and we live in a society where discrimination exists. The legislation we're voting on is overbroad and unnecessary and would weaken protections we have some of our most vulnerable. Freedom, exercise, uh, freedom to exercise religion does not mean freedom to discriminate. 
But Rawlings insisted his bill is not about discrimination, but about protection. But protection of whom, proponents asked. Representative Kieran Hearn, a Democrat from Louisville who voted against the bill, said lawmakers support it, who support it need to be careful not to open the door in a statute that tells the person, based upon your, or your religious beliefs, you can discriminate. Basically, that's what the bill says. Rawlings implied that it was a mischaracterization of the bill, but didn't deny that it could be a possible outcome. My intention was to protect people of faith, uh, to be able to practice their religious beliefs. I'm sorry you feel that way about it. So what we're saying here is that this bill, uh, it protects people who have uh, a religious imperative at work um, that uh, would not uh, accommodate uh, someone of a LGBT and I guess Q on the end this week. I'm not really sure. I always get that confused. I am slightly dyslexic as well. I'm actually very dyslexic by the compensate. Um, yeah, I, I think the protection, again, the protection of the individual and uh, protection of the individual's right to, to practice uh, their religious beliefs uh, and not be compelled to do something that is repugnant to their nature uh, based upon those religious beliefs is 100% necessary. Um, I think it's sad, actually, that it's necessary that there needs uh, to be a law to, to protect people. But by the same token, you know what? We're not all on board um, with this uh, this trend in mental illness that lends itself towards the LGBTQ folks um, because the vast majority of it is just that mental illness. Um, at least that's been my personal experience. You know, I never met anybody who wasn't of that persuasion, who wasn't somehow Mijnu, for lack of a better term. And those of you from New York will understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, Mijnu in the head. It's just, it's just the way it is. I, I, I don't feel that um, the vast majority of our uh, society should have to validate someone else's mental illness. Plain and simple. Anyway, that being said, um, I think I got something uh, out of Tennessee, which is also kind of interesting uh, as far as uh, government overreach as well, too. Uh, and this is uh, justthenews.com. And this is uh, uh, Politics and Policy. And this was uh, Ben uh, Whedon uh, wrote this. Uh, Tennessee Governor Lee signs bill permitting officials to decline to perform same-sex marriages. Hmm? Here we go. Tennessee GOP Governor Bill Lee on Wednesday signed legislation permitting public officials uh, to cite conscientious or religious objections as grounds to refuse to perform a same-sex marriage. The bill does not ban same-sex marriage, nor does it give the officials authority to reject marriage licenses to same-sex couples, the Hill reported. It merely states that objecting individuals shall not be required to solemnize a marriage. And by solemnize, I presume they mean perform a ceremony. Uh, LGB, LGBT groups, see there's no Q on the end of this one, uh, have cited the bill through, uh, though Republicans have contended it Im imposes no restrictions upon same-sex couples, nor does it impede their uh, receipt of marriage licenses. The Supreme Court in 2015 ruled in Oberfell versus Hodges that states must both recognize and perform same-sex marriages on constitutional basis. In December of 2022, President Joe Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act in the law, codifying certain protections for same-sex couples and interracial pairings. So, uh, again, I think it's uh, interesting how the uh, states are, in their own way, uh, enacting protections for people who, again, for religious or conscious reasons, uh, do not want to be uh, compelled to do something that is against their nature. Uh, they certainly shouldn't be. So I think more and more, uh, you're going to have more as, as cause I put this into this whole wokeness thing. It's a, it's a bigger envelope. Um, as a, as a, you have more and more uh, wokeness injected, you know, like artificially injected into our, our society, uh, there's going to be more pushback. Uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because I don't want to live in a woke world. I have no desire to live in a woke world, I'll be perfectly honest about that. Uh, 
you know, and, and I guess the older I get, the more, uh, I guess, I don't want to just say conservative because it's, this isn't just a matter of conservatism, although I guess it is to a large degree because I think conservatism, for the most part, have been losing the culture wars for uh, decades now. I mean, decades. Uh, you know, I think political correctness uh, certainly was the forerunner to, uh, to wokeness. Uh, and I remember political correctness becoming a major issue uh, going back in the day. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager and the idea of uh, the uh, New York City public school curriculum adding uh, material, uh, Janie has two mommies and Billy's got two daddies. You know, this was in the, uh, this was in the, like the, the mid 80s, not for nothing. And uh, to a large degree, it was the beginning of the end um, for, uh, for the uh, quote unquote, nuclear family, the idea of normal, now you're basically ostracized. If you're quote unquote normal, you're not a, allowed to be normal because you're, you're, you're uh, uh, being biased against someone. And uh, I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> I'm a biased person. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm done. They, they've taken it too far. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Something else out of the, out of the post. Uh, oh, in the, uh, yeah. Do I want to do this one? Yeah, you know, I'll do this one. Even though it doesn't pertain uh, exactly to um, to friggin' uh, Alec Baldwin. Um, as some of you may know, I took an interest in the Alec Baldwin. Uh, Alec Baldwin killed somebody today uh, story. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is also out of New York Post. Uh, Jerry's selection begins for trial of rust armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed in fatal 2021 shooting by Alec Baldwin. Prosecutors in New Mexico are pursuing accountability for the 2021 death of a cinematographer who was fatally shot by actor Alec Baldwin during a rehearsal for the Western film Rust. Before Baldwin's case progresses, the armor on the set is being tried on charges of involuntary manslaughter and tampering with evidence. Jury selection in the Hannah Gutierrez-Reed's trial started Wednesday in Santa Fe. Gutierrez-Reed has pleaded not guilty to the charges and maintained she's not directly to blame for Helena Hutchinson's death. Baldwin has pleaded not guilty uh, to an involuntary manslaughter charge in a separate case. The process for selecting 12 jurors began with a pool of 70 residences from, Santa, from the Santa Fe area, including non-English speakers, a welder, a teacher, a graduate student, and a mother who provides for six children. How can you be a non-English speaker and be a citizen? Okay, now that we've thought about that for a second. A prosecutor began uh, a prosecutor began with questions for jurors about their exposure to intensive media coverage and social media chatter about the case. Prosecutors plan to present evidence that Gutierrez Reed loaded a live round into the gun that killed Hutchins after unknowingly bringing live ammunition onto a set where it was expressly prohibited. They contend the armorer missed multiple opportunities to ensure the safety on the movie set. They contend, uh, okay, the defense attorneys have said that they have evidence that will show otherwise. The evidence in the testimony has implications for Baldwin, who was pointing a gun at Hutchinson during the, uh, Hutchins, during the October 21 rehearsal outside Santa Fe when she was killed and director Joel Sousa was wounded. Uh, here are some things to know about Gutierrez-Reed trial uh, charges. Gutierrez-Reed, the stepdaughter of renowned sharpshooter and weapons consultant Fell Reed, was 24 at the time of Hutchins' death. Russ was her second assignment as an armorer in a feature film. Reed Gutierrez faces up to 18 months in prison and a 5,000 fine if convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, evidence tampering charges stems from the accusation that she handled a small bag of possible narcotics to a crew member after the shooting to avoid detection by law enforcement. Her attorney said that charge is the prosecutor's attempt to smear Gutierrez Reed character. The bag was thrown away without testing the contents, the defense attorney said. More than 40 people are listed as witnesses during the trial that's scheduled to run through March 6. Uh, ammunition. Authorities located six rounds of ammunition on the movie set in locations that included a box, a gun belt, and a bandolier worn by Baldwin. 
Baldwin has said he assumed the gun only had rounds that could not be fired. Special prosecutors have argued in court filings that Hutchins died because of a series of negligent acts by Gutierrez Reed. They say she should have noticed live rounds and intervened long before the shooting. Gutierrez Reed's attorney said she had been unfairly scapegoat. They contend live rounds arrived on the set from an Albuquerque-based supplier of dummy rounds. They also pointed to a broader atmosphere of safety failures that were uncovered during an investigation by state workplace safety inspectors that go beyond Gutierrez Reed. Additionally, Gutierrez Reed is accused in another case of carrying a gun into a bar in a downtown Santa Fe in violation of state law. Her attorneys say the charge has been used to try to pressure Gutierrez Reed into a false confession about handling live ammunition on the rust set. So, Gutierrez Reed was responsible for storage, maintenance, and handling of firearms and ammunition on the set for training members of the cast who would be handling firearms according to state workplace safety regulators. Live rounds are typically distinguished from dummy rounds by a small hole in the dummy's brass cartridge indicating there's no explosive inside, or by shaking the round to hear the clatter of a BB that is inserted inside. A missing or dimpled primer at the bottom of the cartridge is another trait of dummy rounds. So, uh, they're, uh, they're proceeding with, uh, with the case, and I have to assume, um, based upon the outcome of Gutierrez, uh, Reed, or Reed Gutierrez, whichever one it is, uh, of her case is, uh, going to either strengthen or weaken, uh, the case for, uh, for Alec Baldwin, but I'd love to see Alec Baldwin go to jail. Just, I just, he's a scumbag. I have no problems with scumbags going to jail. Again, you know, I stopped being fair and reasonable a very long time ago. <laughs> very, you know, again, it ties into that whole, I'm tired of the woke bullshit. I'm tired of the left and their fucking, just their insanity. Just outright, overall insanity. Uh, and still it continues. I, uh, what else? Oh, in the continuing insanity train. <laughs> I guess we're on the crazy train. As Ozzy would say, this is out of the uh, postmillennial.com. Uh, this is American News. This is dated February 20. Uh, Boston activist demands $15 billion in reparations for black Americans. The monetary demands made by Reverend Kevin Peterson are over three times Boston's annual budget. An activist in Boston has called the city, called on the city to provide $15 billion in reparations to black Americans, arguing a debt must be paid to right historical wrongs. The monetary demands made by Reverend Kevin Peterson, founder of the Boston People's Reparations Commission, are over three times the Massachusetts capital's annual budget. During a press conference on Saturday, Peterson claimed that the wealth of the city was built on slavery. And as a result, the government was responsible to pay back wealth they extracted free of charge from other human beings who died at some point in the labor for this city. We demand from Mayor Wu full monetary compensation for wages and lost lives through slavery and anti-black institutional oppression, Peterson said. Today we call on a full and robust reparations process. According to NBC10, Peterson said that black residents should receive a specific initial monetary payout of $5 billion. After that, $5 billion investments would be made in new financial institutions and to address crime and the racial education gap. It's not enough to talk about the vagaries of health care, housing, and public education reform for blacks in Boston as a part of the reparation bills. Peterson said in a statement, <clears throat> The reality is that labor and lives were stolen from blacks in Boston. Money is owed. A debt must be paid in dollars. <clears throat> Reparations effort in Boston will not be domesticated into simple historical studies or meaningless rhetoric about equality and diversity in some future time, he added. We will call on the task force to fully commit to writing checks that will compensate black Bostonians and fiscally support the creation of new institutions in our community. In 2022, Boston created a reparations task force to look into what should be done to address demands such as those made by Peterson. Mayor Michelle Wu recently revealed that she had moved forward with the plan, establishing teams that will aid in the process. This is the same Michelle Wu who specifically non-invited white people to her holiday party, if you recall. I think that was a big deal back in December, you know. Um, as far as reparations go, um, not for nothing. Uh, bullshit. 
you know, I find it really interesting how a lot of black people talk about their ancestors and what their ancestors built and how they're owed something and how my great, 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 whatever owned their great, 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 whatever. And not for nothing, for the vast majority of Americans, that's just not true. <laughs> my people were in Europe, not for nothing. And again, I have Eastern European and uh, friggin' Irish. I might as well be a nigger. I mean, I don't feel I owe anybody anything, not for nothing. And uh, I think time is better spent moving forward than it is uh, to uh, to dwell in the past. Uh, but again, that's just me. <laughs> you know, I sit here and I'm like, oh my God. I just, I don't, I just, I have a hard time functioning sometimes. And the fact that these ideas are even entertained is really, again, what's more disturbing to me than anything else is like, why do we entertain these notions? That's the thing. We should just reject them out of hand, reject them and say, no, <laughs> sorry, I don't owe you nothing. Not for nothing. Nobody owes you nothing. And, and if you stop and think about it just for a moment here, you know, we know, historically speaking, um, a lot of black people were involved in the slave trade in ways other than being currency. We know these people were exported from their own country by other black tribes. Not for nothing. This is a fact. This is firmly established how the slave trade worked. Okay, but we're conveniently leaving that out. Just like not for nothing, black on black crime, that don't matter. That, that don't matter one bit. It's got to be white on black crime or it doesn't matter, right? Only black lives matter if they were killed by white lives. If black lives were killed by black lives, they don't matter. But the vast majority of these people, not for nothing, if their ancestors hadn't been sold into slavery by other black people, would probably be having shitty existences in whatever African nation that their ancestors were stolen from. <laughs> not for nothing. So I would count my blessings and be glad that I'm an American and an America that has moved forward. Not for nothing. We have a black or we had a mostly black president. <laughs> we have a West Indian vice president, you know what I'm saying? Who's a woman, not for nothing. Uh, I think things have, have not for nothing, they've moved forward. And they might not move as fast as people would like, but they do move forward. And I'm gonna point out one more time, these numbers are artificially inflated. They're artificially inflated. If we're gonna go strictly based upon representation of people in our society, there's a certain number of each type of person in our society. There's X number of blacks. There's X number of Hispanics. There's X number of Caucasians. There's X number of homosexuals. There's X number. And when we look at our media, what, is, what has happened is, is there's been this overcompensation and injection of artificial numbers because you don't see that in real life. You don't. The only stats that are downplayed a crime. You know, again, when we look at, you know, 50% of the violent crimes in this country are committed by Afro-Americans, whether it be on other Afro-Americans or whether it be on Caucasians, the point becomes is, okay, so 13, and it can't even be an entire 13% of the population because not the entire black population is down to murder. <laughs> They're just not. Sorry. You know, so let's take 13 and let's cut that in half. Let's cut that down to seven. And I even think we can go down even lower than that. I think we might even go down to like 5% of the black population. So five out of 100% of the overall American population is responsible for 50% of the violent crime. If these people had been left in Africa... They could be murdering each other over in Africa, like they still continue to do over in Africa, by the way. <laughs> Not for nothing. You see what's happening in uh, South Africa, right? South Africa is a failed nation. It's a 100% failed nation. It's like Planet of the Apes over there. I mean, it's just totally crazy. Not for nothing. Failed. Utterly failed. Anyway, moving on. Uh, what else do I got? Yeah. I know I wanted to cover this. This is from lawofthepress.com. Soros set to take over control of radio conglomerate with conservative stations. 
<clears throat> Democratic megadonor George Soros is set to take control of a major Philadelphia-based radio conglomerate that hosts conservative stations. On Tuesday, a bankruptcy court approved a plan for Soros' investment firm to acquire 40% of Audacity's debt, which would make it a the single largest shareholder company, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported. The plan would now go to the Federal Communications Commission for approval. Yeah, okay, that was a real short story. Um, so when we look at what George Soros has done in the past, uh, you know, they, they call him a mega donor, and, and I guess that's traditionally true. He has uh, at times donated large amounts of money to various uh, Democratic candidates. I think what he's done the last couple of cycles, and I'm not going to get into the whole he collaborated with the Nazi things, and I don't, I don't really... I don't really care. <laughs> it just again, it doesn't ultimately. My issue doesn't come with the fact that he collaborated with Nazis. My issue comes with the fact that he's trying to reshape the world in an image that he sees uh, fit, and the only reason he's able to do that is because of his money. It's plain and simple, and I don't think anybody should be able to do that. Um, but what he's done the last couple of cycles. Uh, and when I say cycles, I mean election cycles in this country, is, is instead of spending a vast amount of money on uh, a candidate here or a candidate there, he spent money uh, in local elections uh, for things like prosecutors. And that's why you have a lot of these, uh, these uh, quote-unquote, service-backed prosecutors in a lot of these major democratic cities uh, setting like things like no-bail policies, and other uh, things that make it easier for people to, to, for criminals to get back out onto the street. Uh, why someone would want that to be the case, I cannot tell you, other than the fact that they have a desire to hasten the destruction of the United States of America. Uh, and not for nothing, considering that's all I'm left with, I, I can't help but think that that's the case. So uh, the idea of Soros getting more reach by buying a, one, buying a radio network, and two, uh, taking uh, conservative voices and removing them from that network is, uh, it's it's a sad thing. It's a, it's a sad thing. So, that being said, um, I think horses, his, uh, I think his son's dating someone. I can't remember who his son is dating. Hmm. Um, and I'm not about to find out right now. Let's see. Uh, this is out of ONA. Shoes, I get it to open. Yeah. Again, when we start to question the sanity of things. Yes. All right. This is uh, One American News. Chinese immigrant without U.S. citizenship is sworn in to San Francisco's election commission. Despite not being a citizen of the United States, a Chinese immigrant was sworn in to serve on the San Francisco Election Commission, prompting some concerns regarding national security as one U.S. senator has previously cautioned that Chinese President Jing Jinping is playing the long game. On February 14th, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously, excuse me, ununanimously selected Kelly Wong, an immigrant rights activist who arrived in the U.S. from Hong Kong in 2019 to pursue doctoral studies. After a ballot initiative to remove the citizenship barrier to serve on San Francisco boards was adopted by California voters in 2020, she is thought to be the first non-citizen to hold a commission position. There are always voices inside my head like, you can't do it, you're not competent, you're an immigrant, this is not your country, Wong said. If I can do it, you can do it, she added. Wong, who is not allowed to vote, is one of seven individuals in the new role who will supervise and carry out Department of Election policies. She will be charged. She will be in charge of voter registration, mail-in ballots, polling areas, and election monitoring. This appointment is a milestone for all immigrant and marginalized communities throughout San Francisco. Wong wrote on a now deleted LinkedIn profile, according to the Epic Times. Representation matters. Thousands of immigrants living in the city hold stakes in politics, and there's no better way to have us be represented than to serve in the leadership positions. 
I am deeply committed to ensuring that everyone, regardless of immigration status, has a seat at the table in shaping the future of our city, she added. Wong expressed her desire to see a rise in the number of immigrants and non-English-speaking voters show up on election day. Even though I'm fluent in English, I still encounter challenges in navigating a new system, let alone participating in a political conversation and activities, she told KQED. However, Wang also intends to carry on working for the Chinese Affirmative Action, a non-governmental organization that was established in 1969 as the commissioner role is unpaid. On its website, it states its goals were to promote multiracial democracy in the United States and defend the civil rights and political rights of Chinese Americans. Previously, the group was in charge of pressuring the government to amend legislation so that non-citizens may cast ballots in San Francisco school board elections, provided their kids attended a district school. Meanwhile, Senator Eric Schmidt, a Republican from Missouri, expressed concern about what he claims is President Xi Ping's long game in response to Wang's appointment to the election boards, citing the 1452, 452 Chinese individuals who have been apprehended at the southern border in the last three days alone, according to Customs and uh, Protection data. They're, uh, look, they're flooding our borders with fentanyl, killing Americans, he said. Uh, so tell me that's not crazy. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even, I don't, you know, I don't. <laughs> oh, man. This is pretty much why I can only do this every two weeks, <laughs> because it gets, gets, it just gets, it just gets crazier and crazier. Yeah, you know, I read a lot. Um, being in, uh, being in Texas, uh, I've uh, gotten interested in the idea of, uh, well, kind of. I, let me stress. Very much like I'm kind of interested in the idea of flat Earth. This doesn't mean that I believe that the Earth is flat. This means I'm interested in what people who think the earth is flat are saying. <laughs> Let me stress that. Okay. Gotten into trouble with that one before. So, um, I have interest in the idea that there's a certain amount of uh, people in Texas who believe that Texas has the right to secede from the Union. That is, no longer be part of the United States. Now, uh, I thought two things would have settled that issue. Uh, first thing was that thing called the Civil War back in uh, 1861. <laughs> um, second thing would be uh, the fact that their power grid failed. Like, remember, three, four years ago during the winter, Texas froze over because the grid failed. So they don't really, they're not what you would... Uh, classify as self-sufficient in, in that regard. Yeah. Um, although it is obviously a rather large economy, do not get me wrong. Uh, I don't think that Texas is to see from the Union. I don't think Texas should give up. I would, however, like to see California secede from the Union. I would like to see California fall into the fucking ocean. You know, my biggest concern is that New York would fall off to kind of counterbalance it. You know. <laughs> but other than that, um, it's a whole other, it's a, it's, it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous there, you know, and then we talk about the long game, you know, as far as, uh, the Chinese playing the long game, uh, we have to talk about the long game with, uh, friggin', uh, the Democrats in general, and as much as, uh, they are, uh, they're counting on this border being open for as long as it can, so that, uh, friggin', um, they can get as many undocumented Democrats in as possible. And then the idea is I have to presume uh, there's going to be uh, some sort of amnesty or what they are hoping for as far as an amnesty once those people are in. may not be in the next four years, maybe some point after that. Uh, and then once that amnesty is declared and uh, they are provided with a pathway to citizenship, um, they'll be able to vote and their kids will be able to vote. And I guess they're hoping to be able to get a couple more million people into this country for that very purpose. It sounds crazy. 
I'm listening. I, I hear it as I'm saying it. I listen to it in my head. It sounds like a conspiracy. But uh, quite frankly, we are running out of conspiracies that haven't somehow managed to manifest as true. There's very few of them left. The flat Earth being one of them. Uh, so you see what I did there. <laughs> anyway, um, I think uh, I think I'm gonna call it quits for this week. Uh, I uh, I got the most of what I wanted to get to. I am uh, I'm gonna put a concerted effort into into getting back here next week and turning it back into a weekly thing. Like I said, it just um, things wind up happening and uh, I lose focus. I am uh, not 100% medicated. I am 60. 65% medicated, maybe? Something like that. So I'm still kind of finding my, you know, level, as they say. Um, I do feel mostly okay. I feel physically, I feel okay. Um, you know, my diabetes is like way under control at the moment, which is really good. We were concerned about that. Um, there's nothing else wrong with me that wasn't wrong with me six months ago. So uh, there's not been any uh, increase in, uh, in anything being symptomatic um, from uh, from either my gallbladder or uh, from the uh, neuropathy, from the uh, diabetes and whatnot. I still can't really feel my feet too well. Uh, my fingers are numb and vacillate with shooting pain and whatnot, uh, which is normal for neuropathy, not for nothing. Um, but overall, I'm you know closing in on 54 and. You know, considering the amount of mileage that I have on myself and uh, how I haven't always taken the best care of myself, I'm uh, I'm doing okay. You know, um, trying to keep my head in a good place. And uh, I think, like I said, um, things are actually moving a little bit faster than they were uh, at the beginning of the year, so I gotta honestly say, for the most part, considering where I was at the end of 2023 into two months almost gone of 2024, um, I like the direction that things are moving in. So, you know, uh, slow, uh, but steady. So, uh, that being said, uh, I'm gonna get the heck out of here. And uh, I'm going to try and make it back next week. If not, I guarantee I'll be back two weeks from now. I, it, I will not do less than two shows a month. Um, I hope to do three, possibly four, but I will not do less than, uh, than two. Uh, this video will uh, be uploaded to, uh, to Rumble. And uh, the audio, as always, will, will be available at uh, lfmidwood.com. And uh, remember, the only way this thing's going to uh, grow, if at all, uh, is uh, through word of mouth. And uh, that being said, uh, you know, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend. Mm -hmm. Can't hurt, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I always look for the words, you know, at the end, because again, I know anybody who's taken the almost hour that it takes to wade through my yammering deserves a little bit of, of thanks. Uh, for giving up that hour because, again, I say all the time, uh, the world's a busy place. There's so much media out there. Um, it, it's really humbling that people do take the time uh, uh, to watch or listen. Uh, and again, I uh, can be reached uh, via my website. There's a contact form up there. Uh, the email address is available up there, lfmidwood at lfmidwood.com. Um, I have a new Texas uh, telephone number uh, that receives uh, texts and uh, voicemail also available uh, directly off of lfmidwood.com. Um, and that being said, um, you know, feel free to uh, to participate in uh, any way you see fit. And uh, thanks for listening slash wa uh, watching. I know some of you watch. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll convene again uh, hopefully uh, real soon. Thanks. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to the Midwood Files on Radio New York International. Thanks for listening.
been listening to the Midwood Files on Radio New York International. Thanks for listening. R-E-I.